All right, hello and welcome back to the Longball Football Podcast. You're listening to episode 24 with myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, I'm all right, man. I'm really, really tired, I'm not going to lie. Um, so <laughs> I've gone with an energy drink, which I haven't had in years. So um, if I go nuts and start rambling about XG or something, man, you might have to rein me in. How are you, man? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, man. I think it's been a really nice week in Portuguese football. I was thinking about this after our last episode. Obviously, last week when we did the whole, like, what is the standard of Portuguese football conversation? It was quite funny because we recorded that whole section, right? And then the next day I saw some stats on Twitter, which was like, the Portuguese league has the most fouls per game in Europe or something. And I think we just ended that whole week on a, a bit of a downer about Portuguese football. You know, perhaps it's not in the best state that it has been. You know, perhaps some of these teams aren't the glorious teams that they were in the past but I'm in a much better mood this week because I think we've just had one of the best Premier League weeks in a long time great results all up and down the table great goals great performances so yeah um, I'm, I've been really looking forward to this podcast actually I think it's going to be it's going to be a good one yeah it was nice to watch some teams I don't re- usually watch as often you know what I mean there was a some games yeah just yeah, really pleasantly surprised me yeah we're going to dig into it in full as usual in our second section we're going to do some news in this first section but First of all, I think we want to just hit head on the elephant in the room, which is that, unfortunately, on this episode, we will not be able to discuss the Porto versus Juventus Champions League game. We're recording this on the Monday night before the game happens. We wanted to get the podcast out on Wednesday. Me and Barney have been discussing during the week maybe how we could uh, make it work, you know, recording really late at night on a Tuesday after uh, after the game or recording on the Wednesday morning. But, you know, we're both trying to do this podcast around full-time jobs. And, and as Barney alluded to, he's trying to look after a newborn baby and and his wife. So unfortunately this week, we couldn't quite make it work. Most people will be listening to this show after that game has happened. We'll definitely dig into that game in full on our next podcast. But yeah, by the time you listen to this, the game will have already happened. We can't wait for that game. One of the biggest games of the year so far. So we look forward to digging into that one. I'm going to say right here, right now, Porto are going to go through. I might have jinxed it for everyone, but that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, we're going to look like absolute mugs when people are listening to this on Wednesday if they've gone out. But I'm with you, man. I reckon they, I reckon they've got what it takes. Anyway, we'll be chatting about that next week. We're going to start off this episode with a new section that we often do. And we had planned to start this new section with the nice news that Ruben Amarim had signed a new three-year deal at Sporting. But that has all been blown out of the water by a story that has emerged today that could potentially see... Ruben Emerum suspended as a coach for up to six years. Now, this all comes about as far as we can understand, because obviously when Ruben Emerum signed as head coach of sporting, he didn't have the full qualifications necessary to be a manager. He has since achieved those qualifications, and we covered that on this show. But the issue is that when he signed with sporting, he allegedly officially registered as an assistant coach, as this was all he was technically qualified to do. Now, for our English listeners, this whole situation is essentially the equivalent of an ex-player becoming manager of a club before they finish their coaching badges and pretending that their official role is less than it actually is in order to get around those regulations. Obviously, he has been serving the function of head coach slash manager openly and as such. The Commission of Coaches uh, for the Portuguese Professional Football League have filed a charge against Sporting and Ruben Amarim, alleging that there was fraud in his registration and intending to see him sentenced to a suspension of one to six years. Obviously, at this point, we have no idea how far this is actually going to go, what's actually going to come from it. But for me, this whole thing is completely stupid for a couple of reasons. One, allegedly, similar things have been going on in Portugal for years, right? There's a pretty good friend on Twitter by a guy called at Castro Junior 76 Admittedly, this guy is a sporting fan, so 
Uh, clearly, he's a bit biased in the situation. Um, we can't vouch for the validity of everything he says, but he gave some good examples of a number of times similar things have happened where a coach has been in charge of a team without appropriate qualifications. Such examples included managers like Marco Silva, Nuno Espirito Santo, Pepa, Silas, Petty, a lot of famous names, right? So obviously we don't know whether these situations are exactly the same. There might be some differences in all of them, but it does show, right, that this type of thing has been going on for years where young coaches are taking charge of teams before they've officially got the highest qualification that they need. But that does bring me on to the second reason why I think this whole thing is stupid, because for me, this situation should actually point out why the rules need to be changed to encourage younger managers in the league. Because look around the world of football, Portuguese managers are some of the most sought after in the world. And this league is where all of that starts. So not only should they be encouraging this hotbed of talent that they've got, they should be removing any red tape that would prevent talented young managers getting jobs at a high level and fast tracking these managers through the qualifications so that they can get the top jobs and encourage what is one of the country's greatest sporting exports right the success of their managers the, the thing that really confuses me about this whole situation now is well one why is it only coming out now like you know they've had all season to see what has happened and then obviously that's that um, incredible statement from Sporting themselves, which I, I, I quite like reading. There's always 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 talk about um, corruption within this league, or like the world's against Sporting, or you know like you know bias to different teams in this league. And people are saying like you know just as we're about to win the league for the first time in ages, they start to try and fuck us over with this. But it's hard to not see that that point of view, is it? With, with the situation, it, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, basically they're just trying to say he's like lied on the CV, aren't they? They're just like <laughs> I don't know. It's just. Uh, it completely flummoxed me, this story. I, I, I still can't get my head around it. It seems totally opportunistic, doesn't it, Barney? Because you just get the sense that this governing body are rubbing their hands together at this big scoop that they've got about one of the most uh, prestigious managers in the league. When, as we've seen, I think it's been going on for years. And like I said, and I stand by, they should be encouraging managers like Ruben Amarim to get top jobs. They shouldn't be trying to hinder these people's progress. And I think it's worth us reading a little bit from Sporting's statement that you just alluded to there's some good quotes here uh, about what sporting said sporting have already described the situation as one of the most regrettable and surreal episodes in the history of portuguese football i did did enjoy that bit um, but some of the more uh, legal stuff they've said is there is no legal basis to support the proposed sanction of one to six years of suspension they of course plan to appeal the verdict uh, they reiterate that they've always acted in a reputable way and and you know they've always tried to do things by the book so for me i think this whole situation is daft I'm, I hope it gets brushed aside I mean fair enough right if they want to uh, re-look at these rules again in the future if they think you know maybe something's been going on for a while now that they want to clear up that's fine I've got no problem with that but I think trying to do this retrospectively just because it looks like they've got quite a big scoop with the whole Ruben Amarim story is, is to me that's a bit daft and obviously this whole thing has cast a big shadow over the fact that Ruben Amarim signed a new deal this week and that was a big story in and of itself it's a four-year deal uh, but the most notable thing about the contract, Barney, is the 30 million euro release clause in his contract. Now, Ruben Amarin was already the third most expensive manager of all time when he signed for Sporting from Braga for 11 million euros. That 30 million euro release clause is an incredible figure. I mean, I put this out on Twitter, Barney. I'm not sure there are many managers in world football who have a higher release clause in their contract than the majority of the players that they manage. Yeah, I, I can't think of a manager with a higher release clause. I mean, it, it's a brilliant, brilliant bit of business from Sporting. I think the length of the contract's ideal, that, that release clause is going to sort them out if Cub does come in for him. But it just gives them that bit of 
stability and shows Amrin's intentions. You know, he want, they're going to get into Europe this season. They're, they're going to get into the Champions League. And so he, he can have that season with them, see how he does then, gets in the shop window even more. Yeah, I, I just think it's a really, really smart bit of business. I'm really happy as well. I, I want to see him again next season. I want to see him potentially, you know, fight for the league again, try and retain it. I'm putting you on the spot a bit here, Barney, but I want to ask you what you think would be good for Amarin's future. Because for me, I would love to see him stick around at Sporting next year and really have a crack at that Champions League with that squad that he's got. Because... For me, when you think about what his progression as a manager is going to be, he may well move on one day. He may well move on to a big club. But in the meantime, before, because I don't think he's ready to go to a, a Barcelona or a big club like that right now. So in the meantime, what does he do? Personally, I would love to see him stick out at Sporting, have a good crack at the Champions League this year, have a good crack also at retaining their league title next year while they're still playing European football. Because that's one thing that's been thrown at Sporting a lot this season is that They've had the success in the league, perhaps because they haven't had to worry about uh, competing in Europe in midweek. So I would love to see him just have a crack at next season when there's, the stakes are going to be high. See if he can match those stakes. Because the one thing you have to say about Amarim, you know, he did well at Braga and then he made the step up to Sporting with that big price tag, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, and he's matched it so far. So at every stage so far, he's matched uh, the expectations that have been put on him. So I would love to see him around next season to do the same it looks like everything points to him doing that I think like you said for him to I mean he's been rumoured with big clubs already let's not forget but I still think no one's going to take a gamble on him until he's proved himself in Europe because these clubs who are in the Champions League they need some evidence on paper that you're able to compete I know it's a, a almost cliched um, connection now uh, a Portuguese manager going to Wolves but at, at this stage in his career that that could have been a possibility in the summer for me I mean if they decided to get rid of Nuno Rida Santo you know that could have been a, a nice little step up for him but um yeah, no, he's got, he's got, he's going to want to do it in um, Europe with this team. He's going to want to do it, so it's, it's really exciting. Right, Barney. Well, let's kick things off with this week's Premier League chat, and we've got a lot of games to get through. But we'll start at the top of the table. Sporting saw off Santa Clara 2-1, a win that keeps them at the top of the table by 10 points. But my gosh, did they leave it late in this one, man. It was 1-1 right up until the end when Sebastian Coates, the captain, smashes in that header to take home all three points. For me, I really thought they were about to drop two points in this one. But that's what champions do after all, isn't it? They turn draws into wins, even if they're not playing well. I, man, I don't know how they do it. The thing, <laughs> I was actually making notes at the time about when Quartas was just bombing on forward and playing a striker. Like, because we've seen they resort to that tactic a few times this season when they've needed a goal. It's almost like a knee-jerk reaction, you know? And I was, I was at the time, I was thinking like, surely there's a another, there's a better way, a, a smart way, you know, where you utilise the players <laughs> he brought on, like Cabral, Nuno Santos, Tabas. Yeah, and then when Quartas scores, you're like, actually, no, there's not a better way because it's so effective. <laughs> and like, it's not only him, like, you know, he's an absolute monster in that box, but the balls they're putting into him are decent too, you know? And so... You know, when when Paulinho comes out from injury, you know to have that option of you know putting balls in, which they don't get when they play Thiago Thomas up front. It, I, I I loved it. I thought, yeah, it's just <laughs> how how scared were you if you were a defender? <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that tactic though, Barney, right? Because it's something that Leighton Orient have been employing this season. When we're chasing a game late on, we're chucking our centre back Josh Coulson up front. So it's the type of tactic that I associate with lower league English football, right? You know, with with poor teams playing 
playing long ball football who were just lumping the ball up to try and to try and chase the game. So it's interesting to see a team like Sporting who are you know, quite a stylish team or have aspirations to play at the top end of European football, employ it. But look, if it works in the manner that it did, why would you not? Because like you say, it was a wicked header. He absolutely buried that. And it's funny because, was it Jovan Cabral who came on as a sub and also had a good chance to score? He didn't take his chance, but the centre-back took his chance. So listen, I know which of the two should be playing up front for me. Interesting you mentioned Jovan Cabral because I was I was screaming from to come on a lot earlier. And I, I do think this is a negative side to this campaign for sporting. The fact that he's not been used as much because he was one of their biggest assets in the summer. I felt like he was, you know, rumors of Arsenal. I really like him as a player. He's been good for them. He's he scored a couple of important goals. He should, if he'd taken his chance, it would have been another fairy tale story for him. But I, I just feel like that's the only taint on this season so far is the, the lack of minutes Cabral's got. Well, they've had issues up front all season, haven't they, Barney? Obviously, they signed Paulinho. He's obviously injured at the moment. Do you think he would have fared better in this game? Do you think they would have done better with him on the pitch? It's hard to say. I think I have a couple of mixed feelings about Thiago Thomas when he plays. Sometimes I really like him. I think he he presses well. I think hold-up plays poor. I think he gets dispossessed quite a lot. So I think Paulinho would have given them that outlet, you know, to relieve a bit of pressure because I was going to come on to this because, you know, Amarin after the game said this was the worst performance they had uh, all season. But for me, I think that was mainly due to how well Santa Clara played and how they harassed them. Because actually, I actually enjoyed watching Santa Clara more in this game than sporting. I mean, let's talk Santa Clara though, finally, because we were both keen to watch this match after Santa Clara's great performance and win over Passos, where they won 3 0 in the last game week. In the back of my mind, I already had thought Santa Clara were going to give sporting a good game. And I wasn't brave enough to say it at the time, but my prediction for this one was a draw. Uh, and they very nearly got that. They had an excellent second half, I thought, much better than their first half. They responded really well to going 1-0 down. They didn't panic. They kept playing their football. Um, and they went out in the second half and really took the game to Sporting, asked a lot of questions of that Sporting defence, obviously, most of which credit to them Sporting's defence had an answer for. But they did get a well-deserved goal. A bit of an uncharacteristically clumsy defending from Fidel. I mean, he's been fantastic all season. I'm not going to hammer him. I'm, I'm a big fan. But uh, it was a bit of a blip. Santa Clara got the goal that they deserve. And I think they really will be feeling aggrieved not to walk away from this game with any points at all. I just like how they mixed up a lot, I feel like. There was a, they were playing balls over the top a few times, which caused Sporting a few problems, uh, finding space behind. Yeah, I was, I was a bit gutted for them, to be honest. I think the momentum was with them in the second half. Um, you know, it's an absolute sucker punch to concede that goal. You know, looking at them in the league, though, Albert, I think they've lost to Tondea, Gil Vicente and Family Cal this season. And those are all teams they should have beat, you know, on paper, like seeing how they've performed. And if they'd won those games, they'd now be up to 37 points, which is two points ahead of Victoria Grimaris. They're having a fantastic season. I think this performance was great from them. I think they certainly won't get their heads down after losing it would be tough to take but they can definitely be proud of their performance if they can keep that squad together for next season Barney I think they'd be a good shout for one of those outsider teams who who can really push for Europe I mean I know you're a big fan of Daniel Ramos the manager he was interesting he came out after the game and said you know I don't see any of the big teams doing what we did to sporting you know so I think they really uh, knew that they had the quality to give sporting a good game very nearly did that I do want to ask you about a couple of sporting's players Barney a player that I was quite interested in this game was Raul Mario I don't know what you've made of him uh, over the course of the season because at times for me he seemed like a bit of a luxury player when I call somebody a luxury player what I mean is that they're obviously a great asset but they don't contribute a lot overall to the teams I think at times he's been that this game though however I thought he had a very good game and even if he is a luxury player that luxury paid off he obviously got the assist for Coates 90% passing rate so he was that player making chances um, I don't know what you make of him over the season or in this game 
I'm a, I'm a real big fan of him. I get what you say about a luxury player, but actually, that's what's impressed me this season. The fact that I feel like he, him and Palini worked so hard in that team. You know, trying to get the win the ball back. You mentioned his assist as well. I thought that was. A, I mean, he absolutely smashed that crowd's head. I thought it was a great pick out from him. I think Palini is more of this sort of player, but both of them are almost similar. I, I, like a Michael Carrick, I wrote. You know, and you know, they're not always obviously doing obvious contributions to the game, but the the work rate and the little things that keep that that team ticking over I feel is, is is really important so yeah no he's really impressed me I don't know about you as well I was going to ask you about Inacio because he's impressing me at the moment I, d- I didn't realise he was only 19 years old it's, it's absolutely remarkable and you know there was a lot of hype around uh, charisma at the beginning of the season I thought Lewis Neto's been brilliant this season as well so he's done He's done really well. To, he's just done well to get his place and he's, he's taken his chances. It's funny, we haven't planned this, Bonnie, because you've just taken the words exactly out of my mouth. I was going to ask you about Inesio and I was going to bring up Charisma as well because it's just so interesting, isn't it? You know, Charisma at the beginning of this season was a real prospect for sporting. A lot of people had high hopes for him. And there was this talk of a slight falling out with Amaro. Maybe he didn't like his attitude. Charisma's now playing in the third division for the sporting B team. Inesio has come into that defence and he's keeping Luis Neto out of the team by the merit of his performances. He's played so well. I mean, admittedly, he's playing in a three-man defence alongside Coates, so he's got a lot of protection. I would like to see him play, you know, uh, in a four at the back just to really test himself against some good players. And I'm backing to do well in that formation, by the way. But yeah, he's playing so well, really solid defensively. He's got a lovely pass on him as well, right? I think there's been a few times where he's been He's picked the ball up in defence and, and found one of those attacking players with a good pass. So I really like him. And of course, the last player I wanted to ask you about, Barney. Sporting made quite a meal of this game. It could have been a lot easier for them. Do you think this game would have been easier with Pedro Porro at the pitch? Because for me, obviously, Mateus filled in at right wing back in this game. I thought he did a, a pretty solid job, but it's easy to forget how much Pedro Porro has made that role his own and how much he contributes to that team in an attacking sense. He's really a fantastic asset for them going forward. So I think it's important to also remember that if he'd been in the side, perhaps this would have been an, an easier game overall for Sporting. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think uh, Nunes had a, did really well filling in at that right wing spot. Like, you know, he's a, a central midfielder. And that's what you lose, I guess, is that, you know, that instinct, that sort of, you know, second nature when you play that position week in, week out. It perhaps didn't have that, whereas Pedro Pori, you know, would have been or felt more comfortable knowing when to attack, if you know what I mean. Before we move on, I just want to, I wanted to talk about Potake and I, like he scored, he scored the first goal. There was a good article on the BBC website this week, actually, about how, about him and how Amrin sort of identified his goal-scoring ability and utilising this to the max. I mean, this guy's f- finishing is absolutely lethal, isn't it? And I think I've already compared him on this podcast to Michael Owen at Liverpool. I'm, I'm going to do it again because, you know, he's got the same build. He, he's absolutely rapid. He's got great movement. I mean, just look at his goal return, man. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've talked about the guys so much, but like, come on. I haven't, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but also I think what's impressive is his goals per shots on target ratio, right? It's not like he's having 10 shots in a game and, and scoring one. So it's fantastic in that sense. And also easy to forget that... Um, this time last season when he was at Family Cow, he was still doing well, but he was playing in a midfield three. Now he's playing in front three. So that's credit to Amarim as well uh, in spotting that he's got the ability to do that. The kid's having a season of his life. He's doing so well. Undoubtedly, he'll be playing over the season. Who knows whether he'll still be here next season. That's a whole different discussion for uh, another time, I think. But yeah, absolute credit to him. I think he's, he's doing fantastically well. Well, let's move on then, Barney, because as we alluded to before, there were a ton of fantastic games. I think this is one of the best Liga Nacionales we've had uh, in a very long time. Let's talk about Porto and Enz. I've been quietly talking about these guys for a few weeks now because they have been going under the radar as one of the most impressive teams in the league for a little while. Uh, They put a number of good performances together ever since they beat Ferenz in the Algarve derby back in December when 
They were rock bottom of the Primera Liga and it's been a much better season for them. Since then, they've had wins against Gil Vicente and B-Sad. They took a point away from games against Maritimo, Passos and Morarens. And now, with this 3-0 home win against Tondela, they sit in 11th place, four points clear of the relegation zone, with the joint best goal difference in the bottom half of the table. They are really turning the season into a success story for a team that, let's not forget, were meant to have been relegated last season. They've sold their best player in Bruno Tabata to Sporting and they are no longer looking like a one-man team. They look cohesive, well-organised and their hard work is really paying off. I haven't got enough good things to say about this team at the moment. I really enjoyed this game. I mean, I haven't seen a game of theirs for a little while now, but I mean, the, the first 10 minutes were absolutely like, they were just so aggressive. I don't know how many chances they had. I mean, I want to talk about better Albert because he, he was absolutely incredible in this game I mean I look into his past and this is what's really amazing two years ago he was playing in the third tier having been playing in the Lisbon District League the season before he got picked up by Portman's on the 23s and it only took him five months to get into this, their senior team he's, he's and he's grabbed his chance I mean I, I love his physicality I think he's uh, you know a, a big man up top a bit of class you know he's, he's, he's now I saw a, a tweet saying he's now got more goals than Nunes, Walshmitt, Nunes, Santos, Marcus Edwards, Luis Diaz, Everton, Paulinho. He's just had a great game, didn't he? He had four, uh, five shots, four on target, which is, um, but uh, you know, more shots on target than Benfica, the whole Benfica team get in a game usually. He won seven aerials. He, you know, I, like I said, he could have had a hat-trick in the first 10 minutes, man. He was he just wasn't afraid to shoot at any any place on the pitch. He was just, yeah, he, was, he just wanted it, didn't he? I'm smiling away listening to you talk, man, because I love this guy as well. I just, I just, there's something about his story and about, the way he plays that. He's just absolutely my sort of player. You know, for anyone who doesn't know about him, he's 23 years old, seven goals in 18 games so far this season. It's not a huge amount, but let's not forget, he's playing for one of the weaker sides in the league. Never played for Portugal at youth level, never played in the first division before, like you said. Uh, and yeah, he's a fantastic player. The thing that you didn't mention, of course, Barney, was that not only did he score two goals, but he also scored one of the goals of the season so far in his first goal. A lovely sort of half bicycle, half scissor kick, reverse kick into the back of the net. I'm sure everyone listening has watched the highlights of this game and seen the goal already. But if you haven't, do make sure you go and look up that one because one of the goals of the season, although not one of the best goals of the week, now we'll come on to that later. It's interesting though, because he had a good game, two goals. Also, I want to talk about Elton Bomorte as well, Barney, because he had another fantastic game. He scored the other of of Portimonense's three goals. Obviously a less good goal in terms of quality, but... An equally good celebration. I think him and Beto have definitely got two of the best celebrations in the league, undoubtedly. Beto goes for this sort of breaking a plank of wood over his knee and then Elton Boamorte just goes full-on acrobatics backflips. Uh, lovely to see. But I think it just encaps- encapsulates the uh, the vibe for that team at the moment. Like, everything's positive. They're playing really well. and Yeah, it's lovely to watch at the moment. You mentioned Bo Morter and the other guy on the wing, Anderson Oliveira. He was he was great in this game. But I then feel as well man I, I've always hyped up Denner I think he got his, his assist for that um, scissor kick goal which was lovely but the other two signings they've made are Dennis Poe from on loan from Vittorio Grimaraes and Iwerton on loan from Porto though he's been playing in Japan so yeah they just look like it's mentioned balanced you know like a, a really cohesive team and then obviously in the news this week it's, um, they're due to announce the signing of free agent Imbula who was um, you know ex-Porto Marseille and fam- more famously Stoke City I guess let's not forget Barney that he is still to this day Stoke's record transfer fee at £80 million signed in the season they got relegated from the Premier League and I don't think they've ever topped it yeah that's exactly right man like what was it 20 million when he went to Marseille from Porto so like the guy's got equates to about 45 million in transfer fees you know he's, he's a decent player and it's exciting. They could be an exciting team next season if they manage to keep 
some of their players together. I mean, as, as a young squad as well, that's the thing. They've got a lot of youngsters in there, like 22, 23 years old. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a fan of them, man. I'm a fan of them. Yeah, there's some other players that I want to give a shout out to as well, who've been pretty uh, impressive. Samuel, the goalkeeper, obviously, you were talking about him uh, in our podcast with Jamie Farr quite a few episodes back now about his story of coming from the under 23s and uh, keeping the Japanese international goalkeeper out of the side. So, uh, he's been fantastic. Anzai, one of the Japanese players at the side, the left back, I think he's been brilliant. Everton, as you mentioned earlier, you know, January signing on loan from Porto, all fantastic performers. So I think there's so many positives uh, about Porto Menens this season. Again, another team that I'm excited to see next season, whether they can build on this, what, type, what kind of season they'll have in the future, especially because, as you say, that's a, that's a young squad with no standout stars that you really think will get pinched. So... Yeah, a lot to be positive about them in the future. Do you want to talk about Tondela, Barney? Because I feel like they're a team that you've been keeping a, a bit of an eye on as well. Yeah, they're such a weird team, aren't they? But we're a bit confused, like how they got so many points and now, but like they seem to get beaten quite. They got the what? Lose every game. Yeah, lose every game. Again. <laughs> Worst um, goal difference in the league. And then I saw someone tweeted this remarkable statistic, which is it's down to their home form. So of the 24 points they've won this season, 23 have come from home games. It's seven wins, two draws, and one defeat, and that was to Braga. Um, and by the way, I think I'm going to bet on them to beat Sporting next week because they're at home. And, you know, um, I think that's a smart bet. But anyway, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it, to see such a drastic home and away form this season, considering there's no fans in the stadium. Like, you, you sort of feel that that's not as important, but clearly for this team, it is. Yeah, it is remarkable because I have seen statistics around on Twitter about how the home advantage has been so depleted since we've had no fans in the stadium but the total opposite for Tondela it's it's not sustainable though is it Barney surely I mean they're five points off the relegation zone at, at the moment they're not safe by any means they're in real danger of getting sucked into that they need to they need to sort out their season so that they become a more stable team otherwise they're in danger of getting sucked into that relegation battle yeah like, like I said at the top I just think they're too unpredictable aren't they we just you got you know no idea what Tonde you're going to see if it's going to be the home, the home Tonde or the away Tonde yeah I, I, I agree with you I think they're going to get sucked into that relegation battle well Portman weren't the only relegation battlers to get a 3-0 win this week Barney Boa Vista also recorded a 3-0 victory over struggling family cow we've actually had the news today that Silas the manager of family cow is set to leave after what has been a pretty disastrous raid over them a lot of investment in January, uh, a lot of high hopes for that team after what they achieved last season, but it never came to fruition. This game, Barney, goals from Ricardo Mangus, Paulinho and Sebastian Perez, enough for Boa Vista to earn themselves three points. That takes them up to 14th place, two points clear of the relegation zone. Another team that looked to be really at the wrong end of the table just a few weeks ago. Uh, and you know what, Barney? I reckon Jesuardo Ferreira listens to this show because... For those who've listened for a few weeks, we'll know that in our mid-season review in January, episode 20, I pretty harshly, perhaps, singled out Jezreldo Ferreira as a manager who I thought needed to do better. At that point, he'd come in to turn Boavista season around and really hadn't managed to make a difference. Since then, they've managed wins against Morarens, Portimonens and now Family Cow. They got that fantastic 2-2 draw with Porto, which I think they almost deserved to win that game in the end. And this performance really summed up where he's got that team to as a manager uh, against a fellow rele- relegation threatened team. Completely dominated the game. Every Boa Vista player on that pitch was better than their counterpart. They showed more positivity, more determination, and they were rewarded with a fantastic result. Yeah, th- those three wins you mentioned there, you could argue all of those were six-pointers with the teams in and around them. And they were convincing wins as well, which which we haven't seen those performances from Boa Vista. Like, the first half of the season, they're absolute shambles. So... 
the best thing for this, in this game for me, Albert, was that other players getting on the score sheet. Albert Fellas and Angel Gomez, they sort of relied on this season. But saying that, Ricardo Mangas is now on four goals as well, you know, and, and two in the last two games, which are both almost from an identical corner routine. And it might seem a little basic thing to say, but that's exactly what you need to be doing if you're managing a relegation battle. That's a big area you can look at, you know, to target the set pieces it's just your, your way of getting goals um and if you're a team struggling for goals the other thing that's impressed me about Jadara Ferreira is um how he's kept both of his faith in youth especially at the back you know so many times this season let's not be around us an absolute shambles but he's stuck with players like Mangas like Cannon like Devonish and he's starting to reap the rewards I feel Leo Jardim as well uh, a few weeks ago I, I was checking and he, he had one of the fewest saves per game rating in, in the whole league you know it, was, it wasn't before, but in this game a few decent saves I remember Jamie Farr saying on this pod at um, the beginning of the season he rated Leo Jardim when he was at Rio and until recently I hadn't seen anything from him to suggest that he was a decent goalkeeper but in this game I thought he made a few important saves yeah, that's a great point. I think it's really interesting as well because uh, it was only a few weeks ago that Ferreira was saying how unfair it was for Bovista to rely so heavily on Angel Gomez, right? And he has been their star man this season, but as you quite rightly point out, this game was a great team performance. Uh, it was that wonderful solo goal from Polina as well, which I thought was the highlight. And uh, yeah, I think it, this this performance just showed that Angel Gomez's teammates are more than capable of getting a result uh, that they need without a huge influence from him. Obviously a great game for Bovista. Uh, it's fair to say that you'll be hard-pressed to find an easier opponent in the league at this point in time than Famalicao. I mean, what has happened to their season, Barney? Because they look in such a worrying state. I've got absolutely no idea where the results are going to come from. Obviously, they lost the heart of that team that they had that was so successful last season. But there was investment in January. You know, They signed the new manager, Silas, who today has left after a disastrous spell in charge and they're only going in one direction at the moment and sadly that is straight into the second division next year. Yeah, since Silas has come into the club on the 1st of February, they've scored one goal. Wow. So, I mean, that that you know that that's huge. In my opinion, he had to go. To be fair, they hit the woodwork twice in this game. So, you know, they, you could say it's a bit of bad luck around that club. But like you mentioned, the signs they made in January looked really good, really positive. And there was a lot of them as well. And perhaps they need a bit more time to click. But I know I've said that before in this podcast, Albert, compared to Bovista, you know, who, like I mentioned, was sticking to that back line despite being wobbly and it's sort of coming fruitful now it's just another change to the back line going four at the back or five at the back different players coming in and out just having that unfamiliarity surely does not help them and um, you know you just need you need that familiarity at the back I think when you're when you're when you're struggling to keep clean sheets I mean I think that's just one of many many issues that family cow have been having and, and their season is looking to be a total write-off obviously that could all change depending on who they bring in as their new manager obviously that manager doesn't have the luxury of a transfer window to work with. I'm sure there's quality enough in there for them to stay up. It's just about getting the right manager in now and, and managing that team to, to hopefully turn around their season from what has currently been a bit of a disaster. All right then, Barney, before we move on, I do just want to touch on two more games that happened in the week. Firstly, Passos de Ferreira versus CD Nacional. That one ended 2 nil to Passos. And that game was most notable for the performance of Lufus Singh, who not only had his best game of the season, but scored undoubtedly passes his best goal of the season. And I think this one, uh, we talked about, obviously, Beto's goal being one of the goals of the season. It's incredible. We had two goal of the season contenders in one weekend. Lufus Singh's first goal for Passos in this game versus CD Nacional. Once again, if you haven't seen the highlights, do go and look at them because uh, you will be in awe of this first goal by Lufus Singh. How about the uh, technique on that one, Barney? 
Tenex is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, like he's he's facing the corner flag and then and he hits the volley, but he doesn't slice it. It's just beautiful bit of topspin that just dips in. I, I unreal. I just couldn't believe it. And his second goal was decent as well, man. The thing I was uh, interested now because obviously he's on loan from Braga. And they'll be happy with how he's playing this season. You know, he's only 23 as well. But can you see him fitting into the Braga team when he, if, if he was to come back? You know, because is sometimes asked to play almost like a left wing back position. And I can't see Lufus Singh doing the same role. I mean, it's an interesting one because not only is Lufus Singh going to go back to Braga, but also Fabio Martins is going to go back to Braga, right? The guy who was so good for Family Cow last year is currently in Saudi Arabia. So they've got a lot of good players to, to come back for them. I don't know whether he will stay at Braga. I think. I think he should be looking to stay at Passos if he's happy there and, and, and they're playing well and challenging for Europe and most likely will be in some kind of European competition next year, whether that's Europa League or Conference League. So I think it'd be good for him to stay there. Whatever happens, he's doing wonders for his price tag. I mean, fantastic performances with uh, with them this year. Also, great result for Passos on the whole, back to winning ways. They had that blip against Santa Clara. So, you know, good for them to get back on the winning train. It's funny though, because I had actually initially paid attention to this game because I wanted to focus more on watching CD Nacional. I think they're a team that I haven't paid enough attention to, but I like a lot of their players. You know, I think there is some quality in that side. There's players like Kenji Gore that are like uh, Mendes, the striker that they've brought in on loan from uh, Sporting Lisbon. I think he's a very decent player. So they're an interesting one to keep an eye on, but yeah, this this game all about Passos. He mentioned Pedro Mendes there. I think that's a good signing. I thought he looked he was probably probably the only decent player in this game. But you know, it's four losses in a row now for CD National. And I think they really need to start getting worried. You look at their running, you've got uh, the next three games of Maritima, Gilfrey Sente and Porto Menendez. Those are absolutely matches because after that they've got Sporting to play, Benfica's play, Porto, Vitoria Grimaras, Ruav, you know. They've got to look at these next three games and if they're not getting winning there, they're, they're really in trouble, I feel. Yeah, that is massive. Definitely worth keeping an eye on Nacional for that, for those next three games then. Uh, and obviously the last game we should touch on, Barney, because uh, I thought this was a very interesting game to watch. Maritimo versus Morarens. Ended 2-0 to Morarens. Now, I love what Vasco Siabra is doing at Morarens. I'm a big fan of his. You know, it didn't work out at Bovista this season. I think he went there as a young manager and he hoped to be at this historically big team, you know, give himself an opportunity with all that investment that they'd made to build his name up as a manager. And it didn't end well. And I think a lot of people were worried that he would perhaps drop off and, and not reach the heights that was expected. But he went straight into working with Morarens. And he's done a great job. He's got that team playing so well. We made a lot of them losing a Braille, their star striker, uh, at the beginning of the season. But they're playing really well. Two goals from Felipe Suarez, as you said, one of the Suarez brothers, I think. He looks like a really good attacking midfielder. I really enjoy watching him play. So there's a lot of good players at that side. I think they made a couple of very shrewd signings in January uh, and and things are really good for them. I do enjoy watching them. Yeah, they look good. Yeah, like you mentioned, Raphael Martins coming in January seems to be um, a really good bit of business for them. Um, I thought Maritimo had a couple of chances in this game out to take it back to one. I think Jotogu and um, Rodrigo Pino should have put some away. It's massive that Rodrigo Pena has come back from his injury for Maritimo. I think, you know, um, he's going to be really important in keeping him up. There's one thing I think we both disagree on, though, uh, with this game. Um, you're a fan of the Morin's away kit, are you? <laughs> I do like that kit, yeah, I do. No, I, do, I like the colours, but I think the pattern's absolutely horrible, man. It's like a like a picnic blanket <laughs> or something. Uh, no, I'm not a fan <laughs> Well, also, I'm a big fan of the Maritimo kit, so this was, a good, this was a good match to watch in terms of kits, but... Yeah, another disappointing result for Maritimo. Is that them rock bottom at the table now? 
really not a good sign. Actually, it's interesting because as we're recording this podcast, I've been checking Twitter and the news is coming through that it seems that Milton Mendes has resigned as a manager of Maritima after this loss. Really not in a good state. I had a lot of time for Milton Mendes. I thought he was a great manager, a really nice guy, but you know, being a nice character doesn't make you a good manager. So it's fair enough that that he leaves. Also, I think I've seen just the vibe I get on social media is that Maritima are not a very fashionable team and they're not very popular amongst fans of the big three maybe because they've got this kind of reputation of playing negative football. I mean, maybe that's fair enough, but they're a small side. They've been in the league for something like 36 years in a row, you know. Uh, so for them to drop out, it, it doesn't fill me with pleasure, the idea of them of them getting relegated. It doesn't give me any pleasure to imagine that. No, I, I, I want them to stay up as well. I think they are... Well, as you mentioned, if only for the kit, man, I think that's my favourite kit in the league. Well, look, Barney, that rounds up our game chat for this week, but I think we should just reiterate what a good week in the Premier League it was. A real good advert for Portuguese football with some great results and, uh, and some great performances from loads of teams in the league this week. Right, well, it's time for that part of the podcast where me and Barney have a bit of a chat about a prevalent subject in Portuguese football this week. Your turn to choose this week, Barney. What have you gone for? Well, with the um, national teams called up set to be announced in the week, I thought it was a good time to sort of maybe put forward our pitches for some of the players in this league and potentially getting into that 23-man squad. I mean, it's an interesting discussion, isn't it, Barney? Because I think we had a similar one before the last international break and you can essentially distill this conversation down into who are the standout Portuguese players in the league, right? So for me, that would be Pepe, Palinha, Pedro Gonçalves and uh, Sergio Oliveira. They're the only players for me that you can have a serious chat about getting into the starting eleven if everybody's fit. But that conversation obviously expands a little bit when you start talking about the 23-man squad as a whole, who could get onto the plane who could get on the plane to the Euros, for example. So, yeah, this would be an interesting one. Let's run through the main ones, though, Barney. Who have you got as your uh, as your top picks? Well, my top pick, if I think there's someone who definitely deserves to be in that squad, is is Pote. I think it's, you cannot ignore this guy's goal tally, you know. And I do wonder, though, if the fact that he hasn't been in the Champions League or Europa League and tested against, you know, the better defences, if that could go against him, you know. I highlighted Diego Jota for Liverpool as his sort of biggest rival for a spot, and possibly Pedro Neto from Wolves could... I think Jota's just come back from an injury, hasn't he? So I think Pote edges him there. It's Pedro Neto is the one for me. In my opinion, if, if Pedro Neto was to get in ahead of Pote, that would be a clear example of league bias for me. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like you say, you can't deny uh, Pedro Gonzalez's goal scoring record. Been amazing in the league this season. But obviously, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of pride around the fact that Pedro Neto is doing so well for a Premier League team. So that might edge him. For me, the other players, I mean, if we're talking about starting 11 spot, right? It seems that Pepe still starts for Portugal, even uh, despite his age. He's still a key player for them. So I think he's a, a good source of pride for the Primera Liga. And then the other interesting prospects are all in midfield then because you've got Pelinha and Sergio Oliveira. Now, Pelinha, I think, is a really strong shout because he plays that quite unglamorous position of holding midfield. Now, obviously, Portugal have had some great holding midfielders in the past, William Cavalio, for example. So, But I don't think players like that are playing so well. So I think there is a opportunity there for someone like him a younger player a new kid on the block to to state a claim for that position Sergio Oliveira I think there's slightly less chance if Portugal are going to play a midfield three with two midfielders being slightly more advanced I, I, I think Sergio Oliveira might struggle to get into that spot 
Also, the third option that he could go for, let's not forget that Pedro Gonçalves played in a midfield three for Family Cow last season. He could do that again. I'm imagining a midfield three of Pelinha, Pedro Gonçalves and Bruno Fernandes, but I think that might be a slightly top-heavy midfield three. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think um, Pelini is the, the biggest shout for me for potentially getting a starting spot. Like he mentioned um, William Carvalho, but he, he's still recovering from an injury and you know he's not been starting for Betis recently. Um, Danilo Pierre, um, PSG, um, hasn't really got himself into that team. Renato Sanchez is actually in a similar situation to Carvalho. He's recovering from an injury. So that position is really up for grabs for me. And I, and I think Pelini's got the be- better shout over Sergio Oliveira. I completely agree with you about the positional situation for Sergio Oliveira. Another area, Barney, that we have discussed before, um, but that could be another option for a Leonos player to get a to get a spot in that squad would be that second right back position for me. If you're taking, for example, Joao Cancelo and Pereira from Leicester as your right backs, then I don't think there's a spot. But what we have seen is that Joao Cancelo is often employed as a left back option for Portugal, especially with Guerrero from Borussia Dortmund being the only other left back option. So if that is the case then I think you do have a, an option there for a, a sort of second right back for somebody like an Edgeguyo to come in. We had this exact conversation before about possibly Edgeguyo or Manafar. I think the Manafar option is a kind of slightly romantic option. You know, the guy who's come from Porto Menendez, worked his way up, getting into the Portugal national team would be a nice idea. I think for me, I do prefer Edgeguyo as a player. That might just be me. I'm not sure whether you would agree with that, but that's another possibility. But then of course, if they do have their right-back position shored up with Cancelo and Pereira, then I think left-back, a second left-back is another option. And for me, the obvious choice is Nuno Mendes. And for me, with that young man, it's definitely a question of when rather than if he gets a senior team call-up. Still very young, of course, uh, but showing a lot of promise for the future and uh, not necessarily the too distant future either. Yeah, I think it might be just a bit too early for him. But um, I completely agree. I think he's going to be there sooner or later. Um, the only thing, and this is sort of going back to Pedro Gonzalez as well, Albert, the only thing I'm worried about, the system that Amaron plays with the five at the back is not how Fernando Santos plays. You know, he likes to go four at the back, maybe a four, three, three. And so if those players aren't playing in that position, like Nuno Mendes playing in a left left back, left of a four at the back, you know, if that could go against him in the, in the pecking order, Pedro Gonzalez playing as a, sort of inside forward because Pedro Porro is sort of offering the width from that team, whether that would go against him playing a, as a right winger in this 4-3-3 formation. So be interested to see if that comes into play. The last position, Barney, that I think could be up for grabs uh, is one of the reserve goalkeeper spots. Now, I don't think the starting goalkeeper spot is really a question at the moment. I think Rui Patricio has got that tied up. But we've already seen Bruno Varela called up this season as a kind of second or third choice goalkeeper. So if that position is available, he's definitely a good shout. I really like him as a goalkeeper. He's looked great for Vittorio. He's, you know, that's his new permanent home. He was on loan at Ajax last season, maybe struggled to really slot in there. But a big presence on the pitch, commands his defenders. But there is an interesting second option from the league, Barney. I wonder if you had him on your list. And that's Mateus from Braga. Obviously, a Brazilian-born goalkeeper. But earlier this year, he took on Portuguese citizenship and is actually on record as saying he is interested in playing for Fernando Santos' side. So... He's another keeper in the league that I have been really, really impressed with. Outside of uh, Marchesin and Adan, I think you could argue that he's one of the next best keepers. So I think that really is another position where we could see a Liga Nost player feature. Well, if there's one thing we love on this podcast, that's a themed 11. We've done it before with the best 11 of the year so far. We've done it with the best 11 outside the top three. And so we couldn't resist an opportunity to do it again. Barney's come up with the best 11 of Portuguese players playing in the Primera Liga. So go on, Barney, why don't you run, run that through for us? 
a few of these we've mentioned already. Um, so I'll quickly wrap through. I've gone with Bruno Valera and goal. I, I think he edges it on uh, Mateus for me. Then a right back, I've gone Manafa. I did write down as Gaio. I feel like he's got the right mentality to play international football, you know. But for me, I'm a real big fan of Manafa, particularly what he offers going forward. Centre backs, you know, you actually realise that there's not many decent Portuguese centre backs in this league. Um, obviously Pepe, but then. I went with Luis Neto because, you know, he's played more games than, say, Diego Leite or And I think David Carmo is injured at the moment. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, no, I don't mind that choice a choice at all. I think, you know, I'd be tempted to go for Diego Leite because he plays with Pepe and he's got that, he's left-footed so they can play on either side of each other. But yeah, I agree with you in terms of Neto on the experience. And, you know, he's played very well consistently for most of the season at the team that's currently top on the table with one of the best defensive records. So it's very hard to argue with that. Uh, left back, I went Nuno Mendes, though, like I mentioned about him playing in the back five. So I also put down uh, Robosho for Passos de Ferreira, who's he's impressed me since he's arrived in January. Centre midfields, I've gone Pelinia, João Mario and Sergio Oliveira. I think that would be a lovely midfield three. I also put, I don't know if Pizzi might get in ahead of one of them to sort of be a more of a, tack, a more attacking minded player. I also put down Bruno Costa would get into my squad from Passos de Ferreira. Oh, 100%. Bruno Costa's got to be in there for me. I don't know about Pizzi. For me, I think he's been... He's not been that great this season. He's not shown what he has shown in seasons in the past. You know, it's a difficult one because obviously he's been fantastic before. But yeah, this season on merit, if you're picking players on form for me, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't start him. Oh, this is where I've got a bit serious, Albert, because I've I've not only taken into the fact injuries, I'm also going on a bit of form as well. So the front three is a bit of a tricky one because it's no real strikers, is there? I think mm. um, Paulinho is obviously injured. Thiago Thomas, I think, would get into my squad if it, if it was uh, restricted to the league. And I don't know if you saw the news that, you know, we were talking about better earlier. He's actually just um, opted to play for Guinea-Bissau. Interesting. Um, and I think he's been called up immediately. Interesting. So I, I would have tried to convince him to play for Portugal and I would have got him uh, into, into my squad. <laughs> so with that in mind, I've gone for a sort of a false nine um, front three with Pote playing false nine. You've got Ricardo Water. And I think I'm going to go with uh, Rafa on the right as well. But I always had Charisma and Nuno Santos as uh, possibilities. Yeah, I like that. Experimental. No, interesting. Well, I, I thought for a moment you were going to tell me Beto was going to be in there and I was going to enjoy it. But no, fair enough. Pedro Gonçalves is the type of play. He scored so many goals this season and he does seem to operate so well, you know, ghosting into the box and arriving late into the box. So I think I would back him to do a good job of that false nine role. Very hard to argue with uh, Ricardo Horta as well. I think he's been one of the players this season who's shown the most class, the most quality uh, on the wings uh, yeah fantastic football I, I really enjoy watching him What do you think about um, Rafa over Charisma? I, I think Rafa it's an interesting one because he hasn't been great in form this season but he's shown glimpses of the fact that there is huge talent there and I think if he was under a better manager or a manager who was able to get the best out of him he would be a, a huge asset and, uh, and he's a player who's got to be targeting better form you know better performances to get himself back in that Portugal national team conversation because I think he's in danger of getting left behind when you see some of the incredible talent that's coming through in it for Portugal in an attacking sense well that sums up our Portuguese national team chat I think that's a fantastic 11 quickly Barney how far does that 11 get into the Euros for you oh in the Euros I think they uh, they get undone by a do you think I was going to say Wales but I don't know if that's true <laughs> it's like, now they're decent man they'll beat Wales I'd say they'd get undone by like you know, Belgium or something maybe maybe give England a good game yeah get out of the group but then probably struggle in the next round I think that's fair to say but look we love bigging up Premier League talent on this podcast that's what we're, we're all about we're a Premier League podcast that's our bread and butter and, and we think there's some fantastic talent on show well that is all we've got time for on this week's podcast we will of course be back next week discussing 
that huge Champions League tie that I'm sure everyone knows the result about. We're just still waiting to hear. Uh, we'll, of course, also be discussing the Primera Liga. Let's not forget there's also a huge derby between Braga and Vittoria Guimaraes to discuss. So there'll be plenty to chat about on next week's podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, uh, you could leave us a little review on Apple Podcasts. That would be a massive help and give us a real boost. And it only takes a few seconds to do. Or if you feel like you know someone who'd enjoy listening, why not share it? At this point, we're a small podcast, so word of mouth is a really valuable resource for us. But without further ado, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.